This is Leadership Letters, the podcast reflecting on and discussing all things leadership. Coming up. We very much challenge the status quo and what you expect a skill to do or what's acceptable in many ways, I guess. I'm a golden buzzer. You know, it does make you smile. It is uplifting. It does represent so much more than that, you know, those seven minutes on TV that that you see. I'll ask for help if I need it. I don't mind making myself vulnerable and, you know, being quite open about my mistakes. It's really exciting to be asked to do a podcast. That's cool, isn't it? I'm Lizzie Bentley Bowers. We find ourselves in leadership letters at the same place as I find myself in Line of Duty, episode two of season two. So a little bit behind here on Line of Duty, but certainly ahead on all things leadership. Coming up on this episode, we're going to be discussing leadership with primary school head teacher Dave McPartland. And also then heading into the Leadership Letters Lowdown, where we'll be looking at a way of tracking the well-being of your organisation and the individuals in it. And some to read, watch and listen to recommendations that look at the mission, values and bringing people with you aspects of leadership. So first, let's introduce our latest guest on Leadership Letters. He's been a head teacher for eight years at three schools with three outstanding ratings. Some of you may well have seen the joy of the golden buzzer moment that he had with pupils from his school on Britain's Got Talent in 2019. And LinkedIn tells me that we went to the, state, the same university, actually, Dave, but um, rather, rather rudely, it, it says... Dave started after you started. I <laughs> see <laughs> oh, so you were at Durham University. I was, I was indeed. What college, come on, let's have some college banter. Where, where did you go? So I was at Trevelyan. Trevs, okay, I was at Chad's. Okay, so yeah, down in the city. Yeah, I was at the Bailey. Oh, this is a beautiful thing. We've got so much in common, Lizzie. And I looked at where your schools were and you, yeah, you've worked in a part of the world that has been enormously special to me, but I haven't actually said who you are yet. So welcome to Leadership Letters. <laughs> welcome to Leadership Letters, Dave McPartland. Hello there, Lizzie. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for being here. We are so excited to have you on. Thank you so much. Uh, do you know what? It's, it's really exciting to be asked to do a podcast. That's cool, isn't it? I've, I've, I've done a couple, not going to lie. But this is a, <laughs> strong, this is a strong start. start. You're very smiley and friendly and, you know, this is, this is well, good. I'm good. I'm glad someone else has been the warm-up <laughs> for, the, <laughs> for the main event. So can we start by diving into your first experiences of leadership? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Well, one of the reasons that I'm excited to have a head teacher on is that so many of our guests so far and so many times when you ask this question, what's your first memory experience of leadership, people talk about their teachers and their head teachers. Um, so I'm curious for you, what are your first memories of leadership once you realised that leadership was a thing and how do they still influence you now? Uh, do you know, when he said school, I thought, you know what, I'll go for a couple of years into my teaching career, but I'm actually going to go back more like 10 years, you know, or so to, to being at school and just being one of the first to put his hands up for school council or you know, chair of the school, you know, school board, you know, you know, different things within school. Um, and it's only right now, if I'm totally honest, that I've realised that I did that at university. Any opportunity to kind of get involved and, and make a difference, um, I've kind of jumped at. So it, it started from, from quite a young age, and particularly at sixth form. 
Um, I remember being chair of the school council and, you know, having this group of people able to, you know, with support of the college, look at what we do and how we do it. And and I guess I, I genuinely just want to make the world a better place. And, and, and all of a sudden, I can now see that even then, the seeds of that were, were kind of very much there, I guess. So something that I've, in what I know of your work, is that the voice of your students in all sorts of expressive and interesting ways is, is clearly really important to you. So it sounds like that seed was planted early. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. Absolutely. Um, I think it's really important that everybody has a voice. And some of the things that we've done for our school, it, it works for us. It's not everyone's cup of tea. It doesn't work for everyone. But the reality is we, we, we are based in a, a relatively challenging area, what you know might be considered to high levels of deprivation and poverty. That's not what defines us. But what I think is that, you know, that our little part of the, the world doesn't have that much of a voice. You know, I, I don't think we are necessarily represented uh, at certain levels within local and, and national government and so on. So anything that gives people voice uh, however you might do it I was a bit of a unique way of doing it um, but I think that's really important that everybody's heard yeah so can you tell us a bit more for those who haven't seen your creative work the the, the work that's perhaps the most high profile work and I know you do yeah. lots beyond that but um, tell us a bit more about how you do that we, we love Facebook um, we've I've been using Facebook for five years here uh, many years in my previous school and we use social media um, that's where our parents are at. Um, that's where they hang out. It's a it's a really great way of reaching out to our parents and, and those who maybe don't have an opportunity to get into school or don't, you know, they, maybe they didn't have a great experience when they were at school. They can actually belong to our little online community and they can feel part of it and they can contribute and see what's going on. Um, and, and over the years, we've done lots of daft things. I've, I've re-released uh, Vindaloo, which we did three years ago. That's been viewed like nearly a million times since Friday night. It's crazy. Um, it was like nearly three million times before that. And, and in it, it does wearing lots of England attire, looking very patriotic. It's, it's kind of a bit weird, you know, it, it's a bit of a controversial subject these days, being proud to be from England, which is shocking, really. You know, of course, we should be proud to be, you know, for, from our, the, the country that we're born in. Um, but I guess ultimately it's, it's, it's us having lots of fun, um, showing that we don't take ourselves too seriously, um, that our children are very happy at school. And, and I think that's what all parents want for, for their children. And I think because, they, because of that outward-facing persona that we have, which is very much genuine, our parents like us. They, they respect us. They want to be part of us. You know, the numbers that engaging with school and coming in have, have skyrocketed over the years. And, and and some people said, but yeah, Dave, what, what, what about when you've got to be serious and you've got to have a, a, a serious conversation with people? Well, actually, it's easier because we've got that relationship and, and they know the kind of person that we are. Um, it's authentic. Like I said, it, it works for us. I guess ultimately, jumping forward, we had a bit of a, a run at Christmas number one. We ended up being third favourites. Uh, all sorts of crazy things happened with airplanes flying around the sky with banners and, you know, all sorts of, you know, Mad trips to London, hijacking Chris Evans and very nearly getting on morning TV after we travelled through the night on a wing and a prayer. But ultimately, that eventually, we ended up leading on to, to Britain's Got Talent. We applied just to show our kids that anything is possible. And anyway, we got absolutely out of shock. We, we got an audition. And the next thing you know, we, we get a golden buzzer and we're on you know the live finals of one of the biggest TV shows in the entire world. And that's our little working class school up north. We shouldn't have been favourites for Britain's Got Talent going, you know, going into the finals. 
but we were. And, and the real point of it all was to show that, you know, we should have high aspirations. If we're going to do something, go for it. And don't ever let anyone tell a child or anybody that they can't do something. Because actually, when you dare to dream or dare to fail, you can actually find some pretty amazing things happen if you're willing to, to, to give it a go. So, the, you know, I could talk for hours about why we did it and the impact and, and things like that. You know, you become a little bit... Um, a bit, a bit paranoid. I worry a bit about you know people just see the stuff, the iceberg stuff above the water. You know the 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 showbiz stuff. You know because I've ended up doing BBC Bite Size and we had this star-studded nativity at Christmas. That is just such a small amount of what we do. What we actually do under the water is we we've got this really happy, supportive culture where our children get an incredible deal. They're supported so well, and our families are as well um and and it works it's just we very much challenge challenge the status quo and what you expect a skill to do or what's acceptable in many ways i guess and for me one of the things that i love about what you do is is that it's creativity that that is hooked around so it's the other way that our lives have crossed perhaps a little bit mine was secondary but i'm i used to be a drama teacher so so for me the role of creativity in building relationships in sharing what's possible, in creating confidence. There is so much that comes from creative opportunities at any age. What is it that leads you, led you to sort of choose that particular approach? And where does creativity benefit leaders in terms of the individuals, the, the whole thing? I think when we think of creativity, we, we almost, I think, we, we often think of it as, as drama or, or art or, you know, interpretive dance, you know, you know, things like that. But creativity for me is, you can see it in everything. You can be creative in how you do your garden. You can be creative in how you lead your school. You can be creative in how you manage. And and creativity is so important at school. That that art lesson, you know, that the, the way that you're thinking and, the, and interpreting things and reacting to things, I think those are skills that are transferable to anything within. Like, you know, if you're you're making a project, a deck chair within DT, the skills of being able to adapt to the, the resources that you have. Um, I, I guess for me, I get a real kick out of being creative. Um, and, I, and I mean, in terms of, you know, on a school level, we were very guilty of doing things that we've always done. Um, you know, uh, I'm sat in my Dare to Dream t-shirt. You don't tend to, on your school uniform, have Dare to Dream emblazoned across the front. But actually, that's what I want our children to see. We know from we're from Flakefleet Primary, which is on the back. But, you know, we, 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 we just, it's so easy to do the things that we've always done. And I guess as a leader, it's encouraging people to be creative in their approach to things. You know, the things that we, we've always done don't necessarily work. And I think during COVID, We've had, a, weirdly, a bit more time to reflect. And it's a really good point to reevaluate what we do and how we do. Because there's, there's lots of things that we're not going to change. Like, like parents' evening, we'll probably have a hybrid version where they can do it online on a video call or they can come in. You know, on a, on a cold winter's night when the, the numbers drop because the weather's terrible, well, just log in on a video call. Brilliant. We, we, can, we can achieve the same thing. Um, and, and I feel that schools have been a lot more creative over the last year because they've had to be. You know, when we've got that permission and the pressure's on to be creative, um, in many ways, it's been quite exciting at times. And you've seen all these skills doing all sorts of brilliant things because they've had to. So one of the things I love about what I've seen of your work also, and this isn't just about the, as you say, those those sort of the showbiz moments, 
but what the, what for me those those moments represent is that everybody is involved it's what i it's what i found so moving about watching the britain's got talent piece was you could see that there were some children for whom this came more naturally some for whom it was a, a bit more of a scary thing to do but there's something around that inclusivity that I'm I'm guessing pertains to how you approach your staff as well in terms of everybody has their contribution to make and it, and, and it might look different yeah goodness me absolutely I'm sat here thinking you know there has to be a hierarchy within any place I, you know you could try and have this horizontal setup but there is a hierarchy but I think it's about treating everybody exactly the same. It doesn't matter who they are, where they're from. I'd like to think I treat everyone the same. And we've all got, like you said, we've all got something to offer. And, and when we did Britain's Got Talent, the reality was the audition process involved a 20-minute whiz round school. Who wants to be in Britain's Got Talent? Stand up if you want to get involved. And literally, without any music or anything like that, they just had to get up and show us a daft dance or make us laugh or make us smile. And and literally half an hour later, we had the most, we had no idea whether they could sing, whether any of them could sing. We had the most ridiculously eclectic group of children. And the reality was of those 50 children, uh, just over half of them were on free school meals. I had been on free school meals. Um, we had children who'd been at risk of exclusion from our school and some who'd come from others who were the same. We had children who all sorts of things had gone at home. We had you know children who had special needs. You know, we had so many different things going on. And when I stood on that stage and said, some are amazing singers, some are just enthusiastic. That was the case. You know, we were never, that was our super strength. We were authentic. That was us. We were willing to embrace our vulnerability, put ourselves out there. We might get laughed at, but you know what? We're going to go on there. We're going to have fun. And those 50 kids are going to have the most incredible experience of their entire life. We'd won when we when we hugged Ant and Dec side side of the stage. You know, here's our... God, I feel a bit emotional, actually, weirdly. But I, I, I'm looking at our children. This shouldn't be just chilling out with Ant and Deck, you know, about to go and step onto this incredible stage on the, one of the biggest shows on telly. And if you literally stopped it then, you know, you can then move forward when we got the stand innovation and, and, you know, we're all crying and it's amazing. That in itself is amazing. And we just kept going. We, we had experience after experience. And for some of those kids when life is, is you know, particularly tough, and I, I could tell you some stories that would, would horrify you, they can still go on a device and, and go on YouTube and, and, you know, watch our little golden buzzer moment and think, you know what, I'm a golden buzzer. You know, it does make you smile. It is uplifting. It does represent so much more than that, you know, the, those seven minutes on TV that you, that you see. Every now and then I used to go and read with my, um, at my son's primary school, be one of them, you know, one of those parents who we, we, where you go and you listen to them read. And used to sort of say to myself, I wish I could bring every leader I work with to sit at the back of this classroom and watch this masterclass. It doesn't translate to a podcast, but the teacher had these, this, just these incredible hand signals and that's all, and she would just do that. Yeah. And they would all, they would all go quiet or they would all repeat her clapping. It was, it, it was absolutely incredible. And I think you make it look easy but it's it's a lot harder than it looks, and I and I wonder, you know, what what do you think any leader could learn from the way that a teacher runs a classroom in that way, or from the way you pull a production together, um, when you've got as you've just described such a diverse and energetic group of and a lot of them in front of you. I think part of it is the attitude that you enter into it. Um, a phrase that I came across, um, I didn't realise what the whole Dare to Dream thing was about. I knew what it was about, 
But the word that I've, I, I stumbled across is uh, self-efficacy. Um, but I think it's Banduras uh, theories of self-efficacy. The idea that if you um, genuinely believe that you can achieve something, you're willing to work hard, that you'll do it. And I, I genuinely believe that, you know, you, you give me anything, I'll give it a go. And, and I'll keep going, I'll keep going, I'll keep going. I might not quite get there, but I'll, I'll have great fun along the way and I'll be proud of the, the efforts that I put in. Um, and I think part of it is entering into it with that spirit that when you do something, there's a big difference between, yeah, I might do it, I might be able to do it, to, to I'm going to make this happen. You know, and, and that was like when we went for Christmas number one, one of the kids wanted to be a pop star on our dreams list. And, and the reality was... The, you know, the press weren't responding to our email. So we literally jumped in my car. We drove for, for five hours to London uh, and we hijacked them. And, and, you know, and we did all sorts of other daft things that probably you, your skills don't tend to do. Um, and it worked. And that's where the creativity comes in. So it's that, it's that perseverance. It's that resilience that you knock on the first door. They don't answer. They're not going to help you. The second door is not going to... By the fifth door, you're getting pretty comfortable with rejection. It's, it's a lot more palatable. And, and and the reality is the, the more rejection that you, you you're okay with, I actually think the more inevitable success becomes. You know, eventually, eventually you're gonna if as long as, you, as long as you learn from it, um, and you have a bit of a plan, I actually think success can become inevitable, which which is ridiculous. I think it's the mindset, I think it's it's having a plan, I think it's working hard, I think it's it's rolling with the punches, dusting yourself down, getting back up, learning from it, um, reaching out, who can help, who can support me. Um, and, and, and just literally keeping going, you know, how many people give up? They want, they want to, you know, they want to do this job. Um, they, they want to be an actor. So they go to one audition, they don't get it. They go to two, they start to get a bit disillusioned by the third one. I've had enough, but you keep going you keep practicing. You're going to get something eventually. It might not be exactly what you expected it to be, but I would have, uh, you know, I reckon that eventually you're going to get some sort of opportunities coming your way. Given how many people will be looking to to you and your leadership as a role model, who do you look to then for inspiration? You, and and I, I know that you love to study and think about, so we share that passion too. But yeah, who who influences you and inspires you as a leader? Uh, I think I think it's all over the shop, if I'm honest. Um, I I do like going on Twitter. Um, it does, it you know, my, my online community tends to be a lot of people to do with leadership or education. And there's lots of things out there that I completely disagree with. And equally, there's things out there that I think, well, that's a good idea. Actually, you know, it might be that we won't do it like that, but maybe we could do it differently. Um, big fan of what might be considered, you know, considered self-help books, um, you know, self-development. Um, I always want to be the best version of me. Um, I want to hear about people's different thoughts and on things, different ways of doing things. It might be that you read it and think, God, I do that. I didn't realise I did that. Or actually you might be, oh, wow, why do I do that? I could do that differently. Um, even watching like the TV that you watch, you know, I, it sounds really, I love reality TV, but it might be crime. It might be, you know, literally anything. You look at it thinking, oh, I wonder if I could apply that for a teacher. Why did they do that? How, you know, I, I love studying people. I love psychologists. I've got lots of psychologist friends now. I just love psychology and psychiatry and, and things like that. I think it's all around us. You know, it's just how it, it's actually joining things up a little bit more than we do we, we work in our little silos you know joining them up a bit of cross fertilization absolutely and that there's no one there's no one way and that you can take a bit from over here and take a bit from over here and the way that you do things now doesn't have to be the way that you do things in the 
in the future. You know, I've got a, yeah. I've got a shelf full of similar books right here, and we we do we do share to read recommendations on here. Do you can you share can you share a favourite or two? Uh, I love Matthew's side black box thinking. Love that one, um, and I I love. Most recently, I probably would recommend um, Radical Candor by Kim Scott. I, I love it so much, I asked all our teachers to read it as an inset. I bought them all a copy, and we were having a conversation about it in a bit of a session after school today. It, and it's basically just about having the conversation. So I'm curious, was there anything that you particularly hoped they would get from it? And was there anything that, having read it, that they drew your attention to that perhaps you hadn't thought of when you read it? No, I think I think it was just more uh, a bit more of a it's not a light bulb moment, but ah, that's what he means. You know, I I can try and explain, but a couple hundred pages of somebody explaining the the you know the thinking behind it, the impact and whatever. It, it it's often I often think sometimes when I'm stood at the front of a staff meeting and I'm waxing lyrical about this and you know can we do that. It's 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 often a lot more powerful when you've got a, an expert or you know somebody who can be because it's not me it's not me Dave saying I I, I think she is you know like today we had uh, Dr Mike Rotherham, a performance psychologist who works with Olympic teams you know cricket te- you know international cricket teams and things, and and just having his input and bringing what he knows about you know his world and psychology and things like that there's something really powerful about having an expert explain that and bring their experience to it i don't think we do that enough and and i think there's something for aspiring leaders and probably many existing leaders about realizing you don't have to be the expert in everything that's part of what leadership is bring the experts in totally agree i you know i i can't be the expert i've got 80 staff 500 children um and so much going on you know sometimes i think wow i I know that some of the leaders can be very controlling and they want a grip on everything they feel like they want to know everything and i'd have a breakdown i can't do it um you know i've got fortunately lots of experts in lots of different areas within school and and it works and hopefully i have some sort of semblance of work-life balance i'm not a man permanently on the edge which i have been in the past and and you're right that that's about having the the team around you to to support you so i'm i we could Keep going, and we must, though, make sure that we actually hear your letter, given that the clue is in the title of the podcast. So, Dave, with that in mind, then, it would be great to hear who you have written your leadership letter to and why, and then hand over to you to share your letter with us, if you would. Yeah, I I feel like I'm making myself very vulnerable sharing this. I'm not going to lie. Here here we go. Um, I wrote my letter to a future leader, any future leader, Dear future leader, please think carefully about your values. Make them the right ones and communicate them clearly with all those that you serve. Let doing the right thing be your driving force. Take care of your staff, nurture them and help them grow. They are your most precious resource and should always be treated with the dignity and respect that they deserve. Be kind, always. Do not let your kindness and empathy stop you from challenging, from having high expectations and engaging in difficult conversations. Do what needs to be done. Do not be too hard on yourself and look after you like you look after others. Be brave and embrace vulnerability. Make mistakes and learn from them and ask for help and support when you need it. You can never know all the answers. Give your best one based on the the information that you have. And if it turns out that you get it wrong, own it and learn. Being a leader is tough. It can feel impossible and whether you like it or not, you will be shot at and sometimes unfairly. Your colleagues won't always be aware of all the information you have at your disposal or the reasons for your decisions, and they won't always agree with you. 
If you've been guided by your values and tried to do the right thing with kindness, I promise it will help you sleep at night. Relationships are everything. Be honest, be transparent and communicate. Then communicate some more. Believe in yourself, challenge norms, innovate and dare to dream, but be willing to dare to fail whilst you're at it. Ignore the expectations of others, the ones that are imposed upon you and give yourself permission to think the unthinkable. It only seems impossible until it is done. Invest in you, read and grow. Challenge your own thinking and be open-minded. Surround yourself with others who do the same and reflect. Be careful not to always want to appoint in your own mould. Look for people with different strengths to what you have and divergent thinking is important. Be authentic, play to your strengths, but recognise your weaknesses and work on them. What you think about your performance should be the same as what your team thinks about your performance. Create a culture of psychological safety and encourage candour. Find a co-pilot to help you navigate choppy waters and build a network of support and collaboration. Find your tribe or make it. Leadership is almost certainly not what you think it is. The excitement of that shiny new title, status or pay rise will soon wear off and the reality and hard work will soon kick in. You will have new powers and responsibility. Use them wisely to change the world and make a difference. Work hard, play hard and be kind. Dave. There's a full leadership course in the form of a letter. <laughs> yeah, in a couple of minutes, you know. Yeah. And, and to be honest, I've ended up missing out. I didn't have, if I'm honest, as much time as I would have liked after the week I've had. But I could have put so much more in yeah. there. So you talked about encouraging candor. In fact, you've talked about that in the in your in your book choice as well. But um, and psychological safety, and so that that the importance of trust. So how how as a leader have you? built trust how have you gone about that and I'm really curious to know what's the point particularly in terms of your co-pilot love your phrase co-pilot how do you how do you know when the trust is there or certainly is there enough psychological safety for me is massive um, when people feel safe and that they can make mistakes experiment innovate get it wrong um, for me that's when the exciting things happen um, we do that by leading by example. Um, I'm quite open and honest if I've messed up. I'll put my hand straight up. I'll put it right. Um, I'll ask for help if I need it. Um, I don't mind making myself vulnerable and, you know, being quite open about my mistakes. Um, and and some staff will see that and that will be enough. Some I've got to make it more explicit. Um, some have needed lots of support off our pretty much resident psychologist, Mike, um, and, you know, the thinking behind it. Um, it's, it's something that has taken many, many years, but I think that we're at the point where staff can be honest, most of them. Um, and, that, and that's where the candor comes in. Um, and, and in terms of the core pilot, it's a hard one because you don't always know when you can trust that person. And, and I'm not going to lie that there are times not necessarily here where you thought you could trust somebody and you couldn't. You know, we are we do live in a world where the amount of people that you say, don't say anything, and then they just tell one person, you know, don't say anything but. And then they tell somebody, but don't say anything but. And the next thing you know, everybody knows, or they don't quite get it. You know, secrets, they reckon, um, you know, they bond us, don't they? You know, somebody shares something very personal about them, it brings us closer. You know, that's one of the reasons I think people people do it. Um, and I guess they can be 
quite rare rarefied products you you, you call pilots and when you find them you 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 know you value that you look after that really you know you you nurture that relationship um i guess part of it is is the boundaries that are established you know sometimes it's not what's said it's how it's said and you know coming up with that shared vocabulary um and understanding in that sense um and and i guess part of it is demonstrating that when they do feedback to you even if you do prickle a little bit inside that you don't show that and that you 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 take that on board and you go away and reflect on it and think actually do you know what they're right um so I, you don't always know um but sometimes people just come into your life that you think yeah you're a really good co-pilot um and you know i think that's really important i think i think there's a risk particularly within education with such a, a warm cuddly lovely bunch so you know full of compassion and empathy that we we just want to be nice to one another and and sometimes we shy away from the difficult conversations because we don't want to upset people whereas the whole premise of radical candor is that if you really do care personally you'll have the conversation a good friend will actually tell you that you've been a bit of an idiot yeah you know that you could have done things better because then um, it becomes important that's what i think that's then it becomes an important conversation rather than a even if it's still difficult, the importance yeah. of it outweighs the... Absolutely. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, and, and I think we're really lucky that five years down the line of having Mike coming in and the things that we've done and the culture that we've tried to create, we're, 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 there. we're well on the way to, you know, to this... I think about it a lot. You know, it, I, I want this utopia, this, you know, the, this beautiful place where you come to work and everyone gets along and everyone's happy and everyone, you know, skips into work and, and is making a difference. But at the same time, you have the difficult conversations and the high expectations, the challenge. And that's a really, is it diametrically opposed? Is that the phrase that, you know, this so contrasting things going on to, to try and make it all work at the same time is very, very difficult. And do you know what? I don't think we're far from it. I genuinely don't think we're very far from it. And interestingly for me, those two those two things are, it's that thing where as you work towards them, they can feel like they're opposed. But actually, the more you work on them, the more you realise that, that the two that those two things, support and challenge, totally are completely... Totally agree, but that's just not how, we, how it's seen often. No, I, I couldn't agree more. And and you, you talked about nurture there. And you, you know, when you, when you find those great co-pilots nurture them you said in your letter take care of your staff how do you personally go about that and how has that had to change during the last difficult 18 months and yeah what have you how have you managed to continue to nurture because my goodness it's been tough for everybody but particularly in my view for school um do you know what at times it's been impossible um there's been nights where i couldn't sleep and i went to the doctors for sleeping tablets because it was all feeling a little bit much we had a big covid outbreak i'm quite open you know about all those things um and and in amongst all of that staff were wobbly staff were very very fragile we felt vulnerable you know primaries particularly there wasn't a huge amount of safeguarding thing you know you know things to keep us safe we just had to deal with the fact that we couldn't go and see our family yet we could have you know 10 15 kids kids in the class um and I think it's the, the phrase that I come back to time and time again. It, it's be kind. If you approach every situation with kindness, I honestly don't think you can go far wrong. And, and there are times that, you know, we've, we, I've had staff being a little bit feisty, bordering on a little bit rude. Um, and it's because they were stressed. Because they were stressed, they were tired, they had a lot on. And there are times that I would, you know, in the middle of a bit of a, a rant about something, I'd just lean over and go, are you all right? Are you looking after you? Are you okay? And they would just burst into tears. And and staff, 
you know, I think staffing is the hardest part of any job, if I'm totally honest, and particularly when you've got 80 staff that you're trying to keep them all up. You know, we've had redundancies, you know, people have lost, you know, family members have died. It's been really tough and, and keeping them all up, um, you know, investing in them, just listening to them, making them a cup of tea, um, being that person, you know, they can talk to their family, but I think there's something to be said for talking to somebody outside your family or your friends that's not quite as emotionally involved. Um, it, it's asking how their family are, taking an interest in them, nurturing their passions. If they, you know, if they're ambitious, then then help them move on with that. Um, if they want to change things within school, if they want to change, you know, just just building up that relationship. Um, you know, if they if they need time off with the children within reason, they, they go and look after them. If they need to, you know, go and look after a dying relative, then you go and do that. Um, if you want to be at your child's sports team, you go and do that. Um, we we're we're a team, we're a family. And I, I always think that whatever you put in, you're going to get a hell of a lot more back in return. And I don't do it for that, but that that is the case. And, and when, you know, you're right, when we do have to have that conversation, I think we're, we're better, we're in a better place because of the, the way that we have supported people. Well, and when, you, when you've built relationship in the way you've just described, it also, for me, creates some shorthand so that when you, when you say, are you all right?, people know that you mean it and 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 actually sometimes then that's all that's all they need is to be asked sometimes they might need more but because it comes from that depth and breadth of kindness it can I think I think what you know one of the the, the most I don't know the staff would agree but actually somebody comment commented that they realized what I was doing you know years down the line I go around every morning I spend at least 45 minutes saying good morning hello to every single member of staff every single cleaner you know kitchen staff everybody just so that I can check in with them and just say, okay, and, and over the course of that week or two, I'll make an effort to find out what's going on in their life. Are they okay? What have they got going on? Um, and and that time is, you know, is, I think is really important. It's not deliberative. It's not me being manipulative. I'm not doing it for a greater gain. But I, it's my family. I've got this sense, you know, I've got a sense of responsibility. That, that's a better way of putting it. And you talked about communication and you, you can't communicate enough. And I, I do sometimes wonder whether for leaders there's a sense of perhaps holding back on something that they want to say or a question they want to ask for fear of repetition. So you've just given a wonderful example of where you, you can't over communicate in terms of asking that how are you question. What Are there any others? Are there any other sort of key things that you wouldn't be afraid to repeat as a leader because you know you can't over communicate on it? Uh, I think it's, I think it's everything. You know, I think, you know, sort of like one of the things I think I tell staff that they're doing a brilliant job all the time. Yeah, it'll still come up. I'll be nice to be told that we're doing a good job now, now and again. Fair enough. Everyone's here. You know, that, that, that's totally fine. But I think God, I, I say that I say that all the time or, you know, the school improvement priorities are what we're about and how we do it. I still think, however, we do. We could do more of it. I guess more what I'm thinking about is being is being transparent. You know, I like to share with staff as much as I possibly can. I will tell them, you know, so through COVID, if I thought we were going to, you know, I remember, I remember that really early on before we'd actually locked down, I, I did briefings every morning, you know, I, I was obsessed about reading up on what might or might not happen. And I felt that I could make a fairly accurate prediction of what was going to happen. Um, and and I remember that, that, that the conversation, like, guys, I, I think we're going to lock down in a couple of days. What? What? Yeah. How long do you think it'll be? Well, maybe this summer. What? You know, and, and you know, they, they, this is March, and they, what, we're going to be out of school and, and, until then. I'm like, yeah. 
Um, and, and when they ask me a question, you know, about staff changes coming up or what I'm planning of do it, on doing within school, what the future direction is, decisions on anything, I think it's really important to be transparent that I, they know that I'll tell them as much as I possibly can, um, that I don't, you know, I've, I've read about CEOs of big like Silicon Valley companies who will do, you know, they'll take questions from the floor. You know, ask me anything, I'll tell you the truth. I'm not, I'm not going to do what our politicians do and spin it and try and make myself or the school look better. You know, the way that I see it is if you tell people the truth, they know that you're coming from a good place, your values are right. They're all right with that. People can live with the truth. And, and, and sometimes forewarned is forearmed when, you know, something does come, come along further down the line. Um, I think that's what I meant, just, you know, just being open, honest, communicating. I think particularly when we're stressed, we have a tendency to kind of close in on ourselves and, you know, retreat when actually we need to continue more than ever with that communication. It sort of circles back to the psychological safety and the trust, doesn't it? If, if people believe that they're being told the truth, they'll work with pretty much anything. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. People can deal with the truth. It's uncertainty. And, that, and that, that's what's been really interesting through COVID. I don't think any of us realise how much we value certainty in our life. Um, you know, you could feel it and it, it's crept in a little bit at the minute. Um, you know, people have got holidays booked, you know, people want to know what they can do in their life. And, and every time we had a decision coming up about whether we would be locked up, locked down a bit more, whether we're going to get unlocked, you could feel it. And you could feel it on my morning rounds going around school and you could feel it stood on the gate when you're saying good morning to all the parents, which I do every day. You know, you could feel it. Um, and, and, and we all we all want certainty. I think we're all looking forward to a bit of that at some point soon, hopefully. And something to touch on finally was you, you said in your letter, almost in a whisper, look after yourself like you look after others. Yeah, I, I think I think it's having having, you know, strategies or coping mechanisms in place. Being a leader is tough. You know, I kind of want to call it this paradox of power or status or position that actually I find that the higher up that tree that you get, certainly in, in my, you know, in education, you actually become more vulnerable. You know, you don't, ha you know, you are a little bit more removed. It, it can be lonely. You know, you, you can be, you can be having the most lovely of evenings and you suddenly get an email, email that absolutely trashes that and it, it sideswipes you from absolutely nowhere. And, and as somebody who, I am a worrier. You know, I worry about everything. You know, I overthink everything. I don't like getting things wrong. And, and and for somebody who's got a huge amount of responsibility, that could get to the point where I literally don't sleep at night, you know, where, it, 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 you know, it ruins everything within my life. And I, and I guess it's it's having that self-awareness um, that when maybe things aren't going quite so well um, and, and, and doing things to get back on track, because... If I look after me, I can do a much job, better job of looking after other people. And sometimes it might be that I've got to work from home or, you know, I, I've got to exercise more. You know, I remember February, I started eating much more healthily when the, the big COVID outbreak occurred. I started exercising because I couldn't control COVID, but I could control my diet. I could control, you know, those things. And it's different for everybody. You know, I, I don't like it when my email inbox is, is massive. I, I like to have it zero by the end of every day. And and sometimes I, I, I notice, like today, I've got, I might have only got 10 emails, but it feels like a lot to reply to. And something I need to do tomorrow is just put a bit of time aside for, for me to catch up on that. And, and it's, it's, it's different for everyone, but what, what do people have to get back on track? Because I'm adamant, certainly, you know, in, in our profession, we spend all our time giving our love and care away. And sometimes we, we need to keep some for us. Absolutely. 
And that feels like a great moment to thank you for your time and give you your time back because you've just given lots of it to us here on the podcast. So thank you, Dave, so much for sharing so many insights into your leadership. That's okay. Thank you so much. It's um, it's really made me think and reflect on a lot of things. I've, I've really enjoyed it, Lizzie. Some really searching questions. Thank you. This is the Leadership Letters podcast. And it's time now for this episode's Leadership Letters Lowdown. So here in the UK, we are currently attempting to get our individual and collective heads around the implications of some slowing down of the easing of restrictions. And there's no doubt that for many people, having done mental and physical preparation and logistical preparation for that easing, this is one of those moments when you get round what you thought was the final bend to see the road still stretching away ahead of you. And in light of this, an exercise I've been sharing recently as people prepare to emerge and return to offices, as well as continue to manage distanced organisations, is feeling even more useful. It's an exercise that helps leaders to get a picture of the well-being of their teams, a way, if you will, of, kind of working out what you do or don't know so that you can act on it. I first heard this exercise um, being used in school, so I'll tell you about how it was used when I first heard it. And that was um, a period of time on a staff inset day, a staff training day. And this time was given over to every member of staff, teaching and non-teaching, importantly, They all took part. A photograph of every child in the school is put up in the staff room and there's a huge pile of sticky dots available. And staff simply place a sticky dot underneath the face of every child they they feel they have enough connection with to have a good sense of how they are and how they're doing. So what this enables staff to do is take responsibility for really being clear where is there a conscious connection and where students have few or no stickers, not to necessarily assume that that student isn't okay, but to really consider how they would know if they weren't, if there is no or very few members of staff that actually feel that there is enough connection with them for that person to have a safe space to communicate their needs. I was really struck by the simplicity and the power of this exercise. And I'm sure you can imagine how it might be useful to you as you plan to emerge and reconnect as teams and in in big organisations and smaller ones. And I think there are some really useful adaptations as well. So whether this is using that scaling and curiosity combination to look at where you are in relation to progress on a project or enabling people to express how they feel about something. There are so many connotations, I think, for this exercise. It requires curiosity. It requires compassion for self and others. And it requires taking responsibility for the question and the learning for you as a leader. So I'll pop a link into the, no- into the notes for some more detail about how you might run this exercise, other ways it can be useful, and really highly recommend it as a way of opening up all sorts of useful insights. Now, in sport, as in all professions, we see examples of great and not so great leadership. My belief that strong leadership is compassionate leadership was demonstrated so powerfully by the Denmark men's football captain Simon Kajar this week as paramedics worked to save his teammate Christian Eriksen 
during a European men's football championship game. He gave clear direction, he set immediate expectations, he made intelligent decisions, and they were all driven by care, compassion and empathy. It's been so good to hear that Ericsson is recovering. And it also reminded me that knowing how to administer CPR is an act of leadership preparation we can all participate in, in case we're ever called to lead in such a crucial moment in someone else's life. The men's football also takes me to my leadership lowdown read, watch and listen to recommendations this week, because Gareth Southgate's open letter to the England men's football team is one that I really recommend you reading. I've admired his leadership for a long time. And this letter is, well, it highlights so many facets for me of what is important in leadership. Too much to go into in detail, but what stands out for me is the connection he has with his work, his players, with his history and what drives him and the history of the game and the team his sense of responsibility and his understanding of how far and deep that responsibility extends and his optimism about what is truly important within and beyond his field. I love this moment when he says this and I share his optimism when he says, I'm confident that young kids of today will grow up baffled by old attitudes and ways of thinking. And it says everything really that about why I love to work with leaders because Leaders at every level and in every walk of life are key to young people growing up in a way that they can be baffled by the things they really should ideally be baffled about why we did them the way we did. So moving on to our to watch and listen to recommendations. Both of these this month connect to bringing people with you to the role of vision, values and mission. Um, as part of a course that I'm doing, I was sent this video to watch. I absolutely loved it. So I'm going to pass that recommendation forward. It's an interview with Dr. Bill George, who wrote North Star and Authentic Leadership and asked a question around the most important secret of his leadership. So taking, in, taking into account alignment, being pointed in the right direction, staying above the ethical line, being productive and ultimately profit-making, what's the most important secret of your leadership? And he said, talk about the mission every day, every minute, every hour, until you sound like a broken record. And he goes on to talk about um, Medtronic, who he worked the Medtronic medallion, um, and the constant reminders to people that the job of the organisation is to restore people to full life and health. And he said, it means then when people pay attention to quality on the production line, it's not to satisfy a quality inspector. It's because we know a human life hangs on the back of this heart valve working. It needs to pervade every aspect of what we're doing. And I've worked with so many leaders who are able to articulate brilliantly, or if they're not able to have worked on and then been able to articulate brilliantly, that mission that really clear, brief, energising sense of the mission of the organisation, who might then hold back from the repetition of it. And that's what I loved about this, um, this interview, that he was talking about the repetition, not being afraid to repeat it over and over and over again, because 
to yourself, you might sound like a broken record, but actually to the people that you're speaking to, you're giving them what they need. Going back to that sticky dots exercise, another great way to use it could be to get an indication of how connected to or bought in people feel to the vision or values or mission of your team or organisation. Having done that, if you need a bit of inspiration around how to strengthen that connection to the mission, bring people with you, my to listen to recommendation this month is a TED Radio Hour episode called Inspire to Action. So I'm really enjoying TED Radio Hour as a podcast. It takes a theme and then combines extracts from relevant TED Talks with interviews and all sorts of other audio material. This particular episode, though, looks at how leaders bring people with them and there's tons in there to inspire and to reflect on. And it includes the incredible story of the Icelandic presidential candidate Halla Tomastatir, who is someone I think we will definitely be returning to in Leadership Letters. So that's it for this episode. Links to all of these recommendations are in the notes. My thanks again to Dave McPartlin for his brilliant letter and conversation. And if you want to gift yourself seven minutes of sheer joy, you'll find the link to the Flake Fleet Primary Golden Buzzer Moment in the notes too. Head to thecausewaycoaching.com to find and sign up to receive the leadership letters this podcast is based on and to get in touch with your own leadership letters, lowdown recommendations, people you'd love us to speak to or hear from or your own leadership letters. Please do hit a follow where you downloaded this podcast and perhaps share it with somebody else who you think might benefit from a Leadership Letters Lowdown this month. This is the Leadership Letters podcast, a reflection of all things leadership. See you soon.